0: No, they're three and a half. They they will always be my babies, though. They I tell them that all the time. Like I I call them baby, and I tell them they're my babies all the time. And Scott's like they are not babies anymore. And I said it doesn't matter. They will always be my babies. They can be forty years old, and I will still call them baby because they're my baby.
1: This podcast addresses serious topics such as suicide that may be upsetting to some. Please use discretion while listening. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Mental Illness and Me with a new guest. Today we have Kristen with us and she is going to share with us a little bit first about her background and her family and the things that she loves. So Kristen, take it away. Hi,
0: um, my name is Kristen. I am a mother of two. I have twin three-year-olds. My husband and I have been married for seven years. I'm a Utah native, born and raised. I, I'm i a mental health warrior. I wasn't formally diagnosed with anything until I was 36 um, when I was undergoing treatment for postpartum depression. Uh, but, you know, like most people, you kind of suspect that something's up and didn't really look into it before then. I think fear was a big contributor contributor, because there's so much stigma attached to mental health. And then I think, too, because I was raised by baby boomers, um, that, you know, they're very much, you just kind of suck it up and buck it up you know nothing negative against them that's just how they were raised and so you just kind of mimic those patterns from what you were raised with
1: right well I, and i agree with you it was just a totally different generation and there's no fault that can be assigned there it just was not talked about it was something Correct. that wasn't really understood
0: i always i always go back to uh war veterans especially with you know my my parents my my grandparents generation the world war 2 vets you know they mm-hmm. called they called PTSD shell shock and they just thought, yeah. that, you know, they would just be able to get out of it and be fine. And they just needed to be home. And once they got home, they would be fine. And, and so I, I right. agree. They just didn't understand. You
1: said that you kind of suspected that something had been going on for you before your pregnancy, even though you weren't officially diagnosed. So Correct. tell me what that looked like for you and your life as you were growing up.
0: I am a firstborn. I am a textbook firstborn um, in the sense that I'm very driven, very, I'm the leader, I'm the mom. You know, everybody comes to me for everything just because I'm, that's just how I am. And yeah, um, I always noticed, I didn't really notice it until I was in my late teens, early 20s. The internet became more accessible and all of those things. You know, you can, Kind of web MD yourself and just kind of figure out okay what's going on. And I've always been very very self aware. And so as I got older and as you know I started doing a little bit more research, I was like oh maybe this is what it maybe that's what this is. And it was kind of a little bit of a you know a light bulb moment for me. But it wasn't like I said it wasn't anything that kept me from living my life. It was just kind of this thing just humming in the background, and it was easy to ignore. And then when I got pregnant, that is when the cap, so to speak, just came off on all of it. How I got pregnant was very atypical. It was very, for me, it was very traumatizing, um, Within a week, I had gone from undergoing fertility treatments to being told that I was no longer a viable candidate to having Mother's Day and my brother and his wife who had been experiencing fertility call me and say that they were pregnant. And then to find out three days later, I was pregnant myself. So literally in the window of five days, i had had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Within a month, I went from being infertile to pregnant to pregnant with twins. It was a lot to wrap my brain around. And because of a lot of the trauma that I had experienced in getting pregnant and the stress and the anxiety that goes along with that. And, you know, any woman who has ever tried to get pregnant and can't can understand. And even if you haven't, you can still understand, you know, how that is, especially when you're watching people get pregnant without even trying or people that don't want to be pregnant, get pregnant. And so it was just a really tumultuous time for me. There's also that bitter, that bittersweetness of I want to be happy for my loved ones. I want to be happy for all of these people, but it's making it very, very obvious what I don't have. Um, And so when I, when I found out I was pregnant, like I said, the anxiety shot through the roof. And then when I found out, when we found out that we were having twins, it doubled. Um, and so I, I spent my entire pregnancy waiting for the other shoe to drop because I was just like, there's no way that this whole story is going to end happily for me. And now looking back, I know that that was the anxiety and the depression talking um, because I couldn't let myself be happy. And because I was... I hate this term, but I was considered a geriatric pregnancy because I was 36. And (laughs) it's the worst, like seriously, could you make a woman feel even worse about that? Um, And because I was having twins, I was considered high risk. And so I was very, very fortunate because I got an ultrasound every month and not just an ultrasound where they would just wheel the cart into the exam room. Like I went into the big ultrasound room and in the basement of the hospital every single month. And I remember every appointment, I had an equal amount of dread and excitement. I was convinced that every month I was going to go in and they weren't going to find a heartbeat. I was convinced through my whole pregnancy, like before I found out that I was having twins, I was like, great, I'm going to miscarry. Then when I found out I was going to be having twins, I was like, great, I'm not going to lose one, I'm going to lose two babies, or I'm going to lose one, you know, like there were all of these different scenarios that the anxiety was, you know, leading me to play out into my head. And so before each appointment, I was just anxious as I'll get out that there was something wrong. And then really, the only time that I ever felt any sort of peace during my pregnancy was the 30 minutes that I was in that ultrasound room and the ultrasound tech was looking at my babies because I could see that they were alive. I could see that they were healthy. I could see that everything was okay. And the second that I left that room, that anxiety and the depression would just set right back in. And it was just this vicious cycle for my entire pregnancy. Towards the end of my pregnancy, when the season started to change and all of those things, we Um, we moved into a house because, you know, you can't bring twins home to a one bedroom apartment. I moved, we moved when I was eight and a half months pregnant, which I don't recommend. And so then there was the added mental strain of all of that. Plus I worked up until the point that I delivered. And for me, for anybody that has, that doesn't have anxiety for me, the best way I can describe anxiety is I married a gamer and you're on a. You're playing a video game. You can hear the boss music, but you can't tell where the threat is coming from. So boss music is constantly playing in my head. There is constantly a threat of danger, but I can't place the threat. So I am constantly in fight or flight reactive mode because I don't know where the threat is. I started back up with therapy because I had I had done therapy before and um, my therapist and I didn't really click And so I stopped going, but then when this started happening, I started seeing her again, which don't ever do that. You guys, if, if you don't click with your therapist within four or five sessions or even one or two cut bait and just go away. But because I had all of this stuff going on and I didn't want to have to try and find a new therapist, I started going to her and I mean, I'm sure she's great for other people. She just was not a good fit for me. And so it didn't really help. And I think that that made it worse too, because I was like, I'm going to therapy. I'm doing what I can, you know, because being pregnant, there, there aren't many meds that you can take while you're pregnant. And so, um, you know, I'm doing what I can, but I'm not really getting the help that I need, but I was, um, diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which also, was another blow and another impact because then it was another thing for me to worry about and be afraid of. And then, you know, it, it's interesting how when you've got things that add up, how it, I don't know if this happens to you, but like, I just feel like it was just making my depression worse and it kind of just spiraled it. And it was just one more thing for me to have to deal with and one more thing for me to have to worry about. And so, um,
1: That's what all of quarantine and COVID-19 felt like for me. Oh, my gosh. One thing thing after another, and it it almost has been more than I can bear. So I totally understand. It feels like everything is going wrong.
0: (laughs) Right. And so, you know, there was that. And I, you know, figured it out and, you know, managed it and it was fine. And then towards the end of my pregnancy, which is normal for a lot of women, you know, I started to retain water. And because I was, I, I have you know, because of my family history and things, they were monitoring me for, you know, preeclampsia and all of these different things. I just wanted to make it to 36 weeks and no NICU. That was my goal. And it's hard because a lot of people don't know with multiples, they would immediately go back to those stereotypes. Like, when are you going to go on bed rest? Or are you worried that you're going to deliver early and have, you know, preemies? And that would make me more anxious. And just all of this stuff would feed into my into my anxiety and my depression. I went to my 37 week appointment and my doctor took one look at my blood work or not my blood work, my blood pressure. And she said, do not pass. Go do not collect $200. Go admit yourself to maternity right now. So, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to my obese credit, I adore her. She was one of, she was the greatest because she was really good at telling me what I needed to know but didn't scare me, so I was like, okay. So I went and got induced, and 30 hours later, my boys were born um, via unplanned C-section. Delivery was not hard, but it was fairly traumatic because of circumstances and the things that were going on. I didn't, I wasn't able to do anything that I. I had wanted to. I spent the entire 30 hours in a bed hooked up to monitors. Once I was induced, they didn't let me walk around and get up and move. And so I spent 30 hours in a bed. I had a, I had one nurse that was not really very kind or very understanding. And so she was kind of miserable to me. Um, and she super high pressured me into a an epidural that I was not ready for. Then when I, you know, when it was time to push and nothing was happening, my husband and I opted for a C-section. And I remember when Charlie was born and they held him up over the the screen. I did not want to see anything going on down there because of my anxiety and depression. Right. Um, I remember when they held Charlie up over the screen and I remember looking and I was I I had had the epidural, but I didn't have anything else. Um, And I remember looking at him thinking, oh, that's a baby. And like having a complete and total detachment. Like it wasn't anything like any of my friends had ever said or like, you know, what society had led me to believe that it was going to be like. And I should say at this point for people who don't know me, I was made to be a mother. I am caring. I am nurturing. I was a mom before I was a mom. You know, I, people, people have always come to me for mothering. People would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up and I would say a teacher and a mom. And so for me, that was the strangest thing ever because I knew that I loved this little baby that they were holding up, but I didn't feel like it was my own, which was really weird. You know, they did the same thing with Daniel. And I just remember thinking like, it's, it's hard to explain now, but for lack of a better term, it was like an out of body experience. And the second that they showed me Charlie, it was like somebody flipped a switch. It was the weirdest thing ever, Katie. Yeah. Like, I had just like total apathy. Like I cared about that baby, but I didn't care about that baby. Does that make sense? Wow. Like I, yeah. cared, I cared about it because I knew I should but I did not feel any sort of maternal bond with either one of my babies right away, which was really weird. Because again, if you know me, you know that that's not how I am. And everybody's experience with depression is different, but for me, it was, I, I spent a lot of time going through the motions and I remember in the hospital, I, um, because I had had a C-section. I was there for five days. And I remember they, they wheeled us into the recovery room and I was like, okay, skin to skin. And, you know, cause that's how my brain works is I was like, okay, how can I fix this? And so I was like, skin to skin and, you know, get them on me and do all of these things. And, and I remember I, I was trying to nurse Charlie and it just was not working for either one of us and, you know, all of these different things. And then they. They took me into my room and um Scott had to go home because he had to work the next day. Don't get me started on paternity leave in America. Uh. And so I was alone and they asked me, Do you want, you know, do you want to see the babies? Or, you know, do you want us to bring them in when they're hungry? And I was like, No, go ahead and feed them in the nursery. And it was for me, it was like a, a double thing because it was. A, I was tired and I wanted to get as much rest as I could before I had to go home and do it by myself. And B, I was afraid. And then also this postpartum depression that I didn't, I didn't know what it was. And that's the thing is I had prepared myself mentally for it because I knew that I had because of the anxiety and the depression I had had through my pregnancy and before my pregnancy, I knew that it was a real possibility that this was going to be a thing for me. But once it actually set in, it's a totally different world. You know, you can be prepared and have all of these things, but then when you're actually in it and doing it and dealing with it, you're just at a loss. The next five days were, I, I don't want to say a blur because it sounds way too cliche. It was very foggy. There was a lot of fear. I think looking back, that was mostly because it, I was a new mom and, you know, I've got, two babies that I've got to keep alive and so I felt really ill-prepared and that I know that that made my depression and my anxiety worse. Did Um, you
1: feel a sense of guilt like this is what I've always wanted oh yes
0: oh my gosh yes and it was also it was that and also there are people who are working like actively trying to get pregnant every day and can't and I have this. And now I don't want to say I don't want it. But for lack of a better term, I didn't want it. And then also there was guilt for me, you know, to your point, I had worked for this, this is what I had wanted my whole life. You know, my husband and I spent almost a year trying to get pregnant. And you know, every month, when that pregnancy test was negative, and just being devastated for the next two days, you know. And so I was just like, and then all of this was happening. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Like I'm this ungrateful, horrible person. And so there was a lot, I was definitely really overwhelmed, very, very scared. There was a lot of guilt involved. And then also the anxiety was still there and it was heightened. The best way I can explain it is I I knew the responsibility that I had and I knew what I needed to do. And that if I failed, I was going to hurt not one, but two lives, you know? And so that, and that for me, that's what my anxiety and depression do is it feeds into my sense of inadequacy and my inability to do what I know I can do. And it makes me believe all of those awful, horrible things that they tell me. And so, um, so we were released on New Year's Day, and we came home. And two days later, I got sick. I was one of the one of the few people that develops preeclampsia post pregnancy. Um, and so I went back to the hospital, and I was back in the hospital for another four days. And to this day, I still don't know how serious it was, but I have a pretty good feeling that had I not listened to my body and gone to the hospital when I did, I would not be sitting here telling you the story right now. So then I was in the hospital again for another three days, which added to the guilt because I'm a new mom and I don't have my babies with me. Um, They were born in the middle of the winter and I was terrified of RSV. And although they were perfectly healthy, No NICU time. They came home when they discharged me. They came home with me, but I was just terrified of them getting sick. I told Scott I didn't want the babies coming because I didn't want them to be exposed. So I spent another three days separated from my babies, which made everything even worse. And because I was induced, my milk never really came in. And then also because I was back in the hospital fighting to stay alive, pumping to get it to come in was not a priority. And so there was that added guilt on top of it that, you know, not only am I feeling all of these things that I'm feeling right now, but I also can't feed my babies on top of it. When I was released to come home, I had my husband's help for two whole days before he had to go back to work. So then it was a very, very dark time because I was dealing with because a C-section is major abdominal surgery. So I had just had major abdominal surgery. I had two brand new babies. My husband was not able to stay home and help me the way that he wanted to. And then on top of it, I've got this debilitating depression that I had convinced myself that I could just buck up and work through. Before they discharge you at the hospital, they will actually pull your partner aside and and say, hey, these are the things that you need to watch for. And they'll, you know, give them, you know, here, here, you need to watch for postpartum depression, which is great and fine and dandy, except in my case, and like most people's cases, your husband's not home with you all day. So they don't know what's going on. Yeah. And so I... We stayed at home. It was winter, so it was dark and it was cold and it was lonely. And I just remember just feeling very isolated, very sad. It was a really interesting thing because I still had not bonded with my boys. I want to say, I, I want to say that I had like this miraculous moment when I bonded with them and everything was wonderful, but I didn't. Like it was definitely a process, and I want to say. I don't think I could say I don't think I can say that I actually like felt like I was bonded to my children until maybe three and a half months after they were born. And so up to that point, I had just kind of been going through the motions. It it was just like there was this fog keeping me from having that maternal you know. and I felt like I was and everything that I was doing, I was doing it because I knew that that was the right thing to do, not because I felt that that's what I wanted to do. I remember I didn't really take care of myself the way that I should, like all of those stereotypical um, depression tropes came into play. Like I, I didn't bathe. I didn't change out of my pajamas. Like I did the bare minimum. I think, I think I brushed my teeth. I don't think I, I don't know. And so finally at my, this is a whole other podcast for another day, but like maternity paternity, like, All of that family leave stuff in the country is a mess. And we as a country need to collectively come together and fix it Um, because I did not have a midwife or a doula or anything like that. Um, So my first check in for me was six weeks after the boys had been born. And I'm sure that had I said something, we, you know, we would have gotten the help. I would have gotten the help that I needed. You know, you see this perfectly curated social, you know, social feed of you know, friends and family and you know, complete strangers that you follow on social media and you're comparing your reality to their highlight reel and you're thinking, what's wrong with me? That you know, they're happy, they've got this together, they they're doing it all and I can barely drag myself out of bed every day. I never thought about killing myself or hurting myself or doing anything like that. But I remember thinking a lot, if something would happen to me, everybody would be better off. I remember one time I did not have my boys in the car, but I was driving somewhere. And I remember thinking, all I need to do is just swerve into this, swerve into the oncoming traffic and it'll be an accident. I might live, I might not. So it wouldn't technically be suicide. It's, it's hard to explain to somebody who's never had depression before you don't want to die. I didn't want to die. I just wanted to be rid of how I was feeling and also feeling like I was a burden to everybody. And asking for help is hard because we require the help and support of our tribes and our villages. And it's hard to ask that, especially because we all live very full, very busy, very chaotic lives. And I, for one, didn't want to be the person to add more to somebody's plate. At my 6 week visit, I didn't they give you like a checklist and, you know, to like check whether or not you have postpartum depression. So I, you know, I said none of these fit me or a handful of these scenarios fit me and then I, you know, rattled off the other things that are not on that sheet to my OB and um she was like, "Yep, definitely this is what we're going to do" and my frustration was, and, and I think that this is a product again of the system that I mentioned earlier was ROBs are not equipped to help us. And so I really felt like I was going to her for help, but because she doesn't have that training, I she she was ill-equipped to tell me where to go. And so I was kind of left to my own devices. um, And so then I was able to get a I found my current therapist because my friend referred me to her. Um, And although she is not, she wasn't specialized in postpartum depression, she has been great. And I've been seeing her for the last four years. I feel like for me personally, the more I know and the more I understand about my anxiety, the more aware of it I am. And so sometimes it reads to me as, it's getting worse and i don't think it's getting worse so much as i'm just more aware of it particularly in the last 100 days i've been working on figuring out what my triggers are because that's the other thing about anxiety is it manifests differently for everybody for me i get impatient i get short i get agitated like my anxiety manifests as anger you know like my husband can be standing at the sink wrong and that makes me mad And it, and it's taken therapy for me to realize that that's a trigger for my anxiety. I'm not angry. I'm anxious. And that was something that was something that, um, my, my best friend of 20 years had mentioned that to me, you know, this was a few years ago. She's like, you're angry all the time. Why are you so angry all the time? And I didn't, I didn't think anything of it then, but now looking back, I'm like, I was anxious and I just didn't know.
1: I wanted to ask what your relationship is like with your boys now, as you've um, navigated past the postpartum.
0: It's amazing. They are, they are my light. They are my life. They are, they're amazing. And I look at them and know. sorry, I am a lot of things, but Charlie and Daniel's mom is my favorite because I know I am a good mom. I am a really good mom. And we, we got off to a really rough start, but we have a really, really, really good relationship. I I can't pinpoint like this perfect aha moment, but I, I started to feel better around three and a half months, but then between three and a half and six months is where it really hit its stride for me, where I started to feel the way that I thought I should feel. And it was still really hard. And I was still figuring things out as I went and I was still anxious and I was still dealing with depression and all of these different things, but I didn't feel like all of the things that I was feeling before it's only gotten better. And I think
1: that's so important for people to hear, because I think especially women that are listening that are in the middle of it, it's sometimes Mm -hmm. hard to believe that you can ever feel differently than that. I mean, I was talking to my therapist this morning and I was like, I was just remembering back to the times when I didn't overanalyze every single bodily ache and think I was dying. Like those were such great days. And it doesn't feel like that it'll ever be like that again for me, you know, but to hear just this tender relationship you have and that, it was worth it is such a gift. I think
0: I will say to you and to all of those mothers and even dads, because dads can experience postpartum depression, just the same as their wives can, and you will get through it. You can get through it, but you can't do it alone. There's nothing wrong with getting going on meds. And that was a big thing for me to come get over that stigma. And it wasn't anything that I had been taught, you know, it wasn't like my family had taught me anything, it was just what I had picked up f- through growing up in this society, where I felt I thought it was a failure if I went on antidepressants. And I'm still every single day learning that I'm not a failure. Mental health is so stigmatized. Because your brain needs medicine. For some reason, that's not okay. You are not a failure for taking care of yourself. You will get through it. And, and I'm, I am not saying that everything is all sunshine and roses with my boys. There are days where I'm just like, I signed up for this. And that's that's normal. It's hard to not compare yourself to other people. It's hard to think that not think that, Oh, I'm broken. It's normal. And it happens to everybody. And the thoughts that you're thinking are totally normal, but, It's what you do with those thoughts is what matters.
1: Special thanks to Daniel Sowards for the audio editing, to Carrie Randall for the graphic art, and to Shiny Head Productions for the original music.